Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. There's nothing like a good old gospel choir. Amen. Amen. I believe what just happened is that they were kicking it old school. I believe that's what I just witnessed. They were kicking it old school. That's great. <laughs> Not a lot of you know this. Some of you here in the first service do. Um, but I have, my wife can testify, I have uh, led a gospel choir. Not just been in a gospel choir, but I have been the conductor of a gospel choir. Y'all didn't know I had skills like that. It happened, I don't know, probably 15 years ago or something like that. It was kids. It was on a Martin Luther King Day, and it was kids uh, who were in foster care and adoption, and there was no one to lead the choir. And so, yes, there was someone to lead the choir. So, I mean, I'm just going to tell you I can do this. And I love this one. Come on, give me something, altos, give me something. And then do the band like this. I was messing around with the band, and, and one of the guitar players, I was, I was doing this, and he's like, what? I'm like, no, nah, I'm just playing, I'm just playing. I'm just playing, I don't know what I'm doing. But praise the Lord, isn't it beautiful to see this choir up here? Amen. I mean, the choir looks like the church, and not just the church here, but it looks like the church, right? You, you have some, some young people, and then you have some, oh gosh, almost middle-aged people, let me put it that way. You, you, got, you got all colors and hues. It's beautiful to see God, uh, what God is doing here at Epiphany. Love this, and love hearing that music. I love all kinds of music. Um, some guys think all I like is country music. I do like some country music. And I tell people all the time, you want to get ready for heaven, listen to some country music. But I like old school stuff in Motown, R&B. I like some rock and roll, some praise. But there ain't nothing like some gospel music from a gospel choir. Amen. Amen. So a couple things before we jump into the message today. Yesterday, we had uh, a funeral here at Epiphany. Uh, the mother of one of our members passed on the Friday before Mother's Day. And so, um, the, the, our member, um, <clears throat> Caroline uh, Jones, her mother passed away the Friday before Mother's Day. And uh, so, the funeral home came to check things out and we knew, we kind of felt they're not going to be able to get the casket here. And so I was hoping maybe they'd have it at the funeral home and we'd serve them there, but they decided to have it here and we had it in the basement. Um, I was concerned because when you have a funeral, you want things to be nice uh, and you want to do things well and you want the family to be served well. Well, let me just say this. I was blown away at the, the ministry of Epiphany Fellowship to that family yesterday. The love and the grace and the care. Um, some of our men brought chairs from here downstairs. You know the way, to, uh, downstairs we, we made it nicer, but like I was thinking a funeral, it's not, it's not 
really that nice, but they brought the chairs from up here. Um, hospitality was on point, doing their work, <laughs> loving the family, caring for them well. Um, it was one of those moments as a pastor where you just kind of sit back and say, man, I love my church. I'm, I'm so glad that I'm a part of this church, not just a leader in the church, but I'm so glad that I'm a part of a church where people know how to, and we'll talk about this in the message today, but get outside of themselves and serve at a moment's notice in something that's inconvenient, it's not on your schedule, and yet people make time and do it. Thank you, thank you, thank you for everyone that served, and let's pray uh, this coming week for Caroline Jones and for her family. They're going through a very difficult time. Uh, losing a mother, a grandmother. Um, she was described to me by the family as the mother of all mothers. And as I sat with that family for a couple of hours earlier this week, I did not know the family, but as I sat down with them, I was so blessed to hear about the life of this woman. And, uh, and they, they kept it real with me. She was real. She would encourage you with the Bible, but if you're on the wrong side, she also had a baseball bat. So... <laughs> I appreciate that. Sometimes when someone dies, we just, everything is just perfect and good. And it's like, no, nah, she had a baseball bat and a machete. She would cook you a meal, <laughs> but she also had a machete. So, uh, but let's pray for the Jones family this week as well. Amen. Let's stand together um, as we get ready to get into the word. Uh, we're looking at Ephesians chapter 4 today. Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we'll read a few verses starting at verse 11. Uh, we'll read 11 through 16. We'll look at some more verses other than that, but for reading, let's just do 11 through 16. So I'll begin, jump right in with me, and let's read this text together. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. The title for this message today is Why You Desperately Need the local church. Why you desperately need the local church. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful and grateful for uh, this particular church. Those who are members, Lord, I thank you for each one. But Lord, we pray that through hearing your word that you will move in such a way to draw us all, every last one, the person who's here for the first time, the person who belongs to another church but is visiting here, or the person who's been committed here for a long time. Lord, draw each one closer to you and in closer fellowship with your church. The church is your idea. So Lord, just bless this time. 
grow your people, glorify Christ, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. 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 You may be seated. A few years ago, um, I was picking up my granddaughter, Mariah, from her school. She was in preschool at the time. And I was in my 2002 Chevy Venture van with 197,000 miles on it. Um, About a year earlier, it had been telling me, I don't want to drive around with you anymore, Pastor Larry. (laughs) But I was not listening to what it was saying. Instead, I was writing checks for repair after repair after repair. On this particular day, I picked up my granddaughter and I began to pull away from the curb uh, and the, 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 the van started to make interesting noises and it began to start and stop and halt and, and then there was like a fireworks display on the dashboard. It was beautiful, little red lights and, and orange lights going on and off and I said, this is interesting but I don't think it's good and so I pulled over quickly uh, and made a call to my, by this time, very close friends at AAA. And so I got on the phone with a person and, you know, they asked me my number. I went through the whole thing and um, then they said, we'll be right with you, Mr. Smith. And the person got back on the line and, and they said to me, Mr. Smith, it appears that you are over your allotted number of calls for the year. At that moment, I got a revelation from Almighty God. And that revelation was this, this car, I need a new car. Now, it's funny because I had been getting that revelation for a long time, both from the car, from Pastor Nyron, from Pastor Mason, who on a monthly basis made fun of me in elders' meetings because of my vehicle <laughs> and it breaking down all the time. I had broken down with my, do- with my granddaughter numerous times. I mean, the, the handwriting was on the wall. Everyone could see it. Half the staff at AAA knew me on a first-name basis. And yet, I was slow to pick up, but that was the day when I got it. I ran out of my allotted calls at AAA. Who knew there were a number of allotted calls at AAA? (laughs) Who knew that anyone would actually find out by hearing that they were out of their allotted calls? That was me. It was a wake-up call to do something about my vehicle. Sometimes in our walk with Christ, we need a wake-up call. I don't know about you, but I've gotten wake-up calls in different ways. But, but in terms of even our commitment and what it looks like to be biblically committed to the local church, very often we need a wake-up call. So uh, we're talking today about why you desperately need uh, the local church. And, and, and my, my main idea here today is that Jesus matures his people through the life and ministry of the local church. That is the primary place where Jesus grows you from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. It's in the local church. And so we're going to be looking at today this idea of how does the local church help me mature in Christ? That's the question we'll be answering today. Um, There was a a third century uh, father of the church named Cyprian, and, and he said this. He said, he can no longer have God for his father who has not the church for his mother. He can no longer have God for his father 
who has not the church for his mother. What is he saying? He's saying, uh, if, if, if you are to truly be in vital connection with God and call him father, that means that you will be in the womb, you will be in the place where you're able to be connected by God uh, through the church. Through the church, that vital connection is absolutely critical. And so Paul writes this letter to the, the church at Ephesus, the Ephesians. It's a fairly short letter. It's six chapters. Um, it's one of the few letters that Paul writes, and it doesn't seem like there's any particular crisis that is calling him to write this letter. He's in jail, probably around 62 AD, uh, and he's writing this letter to a church he's very, very familiar with. He uh, had ministered there for three years and was very involved with the church at Ephesus. But he writes this letter uh, as Paul's getting a little older, and it, it is a letter that talks about the grandeur and the wonder of the eternal plan of God. From the very beginning of the letter, he lays out the fact that before the foundation of the world, he said, God has predestined you to be adopted as his sons and his daughters. He lays out the eternal plan of God through the first couple of chapters and talks about how we've been saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, for it is the gift of God. And then, starting in the middle of chapter 2, he begins to talk about this wondrous thing that he calls the church. And, and he's particularly talk, he's talking to two primary groups. One is called Jews. They were the ones who, from the time of Abram and on, they were the chosen uh, ones. They were those who were set apart to honor God and to walk with God. They were the children of Yahweh in the Old Testament. But something brand new has happened with the coming of Christ. And so uh, uh, Paul wants to announce this in a new way, although he's been, he's been giving hints of it for, for years now, but he says, there's a mystery that God has now revealed. And the mystery is this, that there's one church. And it doesn't matter if you're a Jew. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile. It doesn't matter where you come from. But there's one new man. You're all one new man in Christ. There's this unified church that is a wonder that he says is going to be a spectacle to those in the heavenly places. He wants to show off the power of Christ through a group of people that looks like the people in this room. God says, I want to show myself off through my church. And so he begins to talk about the unity of this body, which is the church, at the beginning of chapter 4. And I'll just read a, a little bit, starting at verse 3. He, he talks about being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then he says, there is one body and one Spirit. You were called uh, to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. The oneness of the unity of the body of Christ that God has called us to. But look at verse 7. Verse 7 is the first point that, that, that I want to make it comes from verse 7. He says, But grace was given to each one of us. That first word that we see there, but, it's a contrastive conjunction. In other words, it's saying what has come before, now I'm going to tell you something that's different than that. 
he, he was talking about this amazing oneness, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. But now he says, but, but, what does he say? But grace was given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gifts. So it says, there's, there's one faith, one baptism, there's one church, but God is now designing it in such a way that I'm calling you by name and giving you gifts. God says, Rashida, I got some gifts for you. Here, here, here's my gift to you, Rashida. He says, Lavon, here's a gift that I have for you. You knew I was going to get you, didn't you? You kind of knew that. I saw it by the way you look. Uh, uh, Daryl, I got some gifts for you. Yeah, that's right. Look at me. Uh, Daryl, I got some gifts for you. Right? So he goes individually. God gives different gifts to every person. So here's the for- first point. How does a local church help us? Uh, to mature in Christ. Number one, we receive grace gifts from God. Receive the grace gifts from God. The particular gifts that he has for you. Now, who determines what those gifts are? Does the pastor determine the gifts? Do the elders determine the gifts? Do you determine what gifts you get? None of that's true, right? God is the sovereign one who determines and bestows gifts. In verse 8, verse 8, he says, Who ascended on high, he led, host, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. That's a quote from Psalm 68, which is a psalm that talks about God as the divine war- warrior who conquers over his enemies and then distributes gifts to his people. That's what God is doing here. God sovereignly gives out his gifts in order not that you can get a really big head and be seen as great among people, but in order that Jesus Christ might be greatly glorified through his unified body. With all of our different giftings, all of our different stuff, God wants to glorify himself. That's what his gifting is about. And so the first thing is we need to receive these grace gifts from God. You need to receive whatever your gifts are. You value those gifts. You develop those gifts. You use those gifts. Our problem is that often we get caught up in wanting someone else's gifts. Right? It's comparison. Brothers and sisters, the devil will use comparison all day long and twice on Sundays to mess with you. You, you, you don't want to be comparing yourself. You, you, when you begin to understand the gifting that God has uniquely given you, it is useful, it is valuable, it is sovereign, it is for you, and it is for the body of Christ. And so he calls us to accept those gifts. L- look at this next point here. I'm going to go down to verse 11. He says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. The second point is this. How does God mature us through the ministry of the local church? He does that by submitting to God-ordained leadership. He does that as we are a people who are submitting to God-ordained leadership. Now, let me just... Get this out of the way before we get into into anything else. That doesn't mean submitting yourself to fools. That does not mean submitting yourself to ungodly leaders who aren't following the God that they're talking about to you. It does not mean that. 
So if you're in a church, whether this church or another church, the, the number one criteria that you should have in, in joining a, a local church is the integrity of the leadership of that local church. You're not going to find perfect men or perfect leaders anywhere, but you need men and leaders with a deep sense of integrity. If you can't, if you don't believe that they are men with great integrity, then you should not be a member of that church. That goes for this church as well. Why would you be a member where you want to submit yourself to leadership with people that you don't believe are worthy to submit to? So, so one way that we most that, that will grow is submitting ourselves to leaders. Now, I'm not going to go into uh, all these particular gifts. He says the prophets or, or the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers or pastors and teachers in many translations. But the idea of, first of all, apostles and prophets in the book of Ephesians, he uses those terms together two other times in, in uh, chapter two and verse 20. And in chapter 3 and verse, verse 5, and he talks about apostles and prophets as those who are foundational to the setup of the church. They're, they're necessary to set up the church. Now, look, we live in a day and age where a lot of people are calling themselves apostles and prophets, right? Um, now, this is one that I just, I, st I don't, I can't get my head around. So, a few months ago, I was told I needed to get on Twitter. Uh, my, my son had told me I wasn't tweet worthy many years ago, but, but so I got on Twitter. You can follow me at Pastor Larry 55. I'm just saying. Hashtag I'm just saying. Hashtag I'm just saying. So, <laughs> so I'm on Twitter and I've seen this two times. I've seen it two times. Someone has their, I call it their Twitter handle, I don't know what you really call it, but your where you have like 140, 160 characters to say what you're all about on Twitter so that other people will follow you. So I, I, I look at this, this one, and I've seen this twice. The first thing it says is apostle. Now, I've seen a lot of apostles on Twitter, to be honest. A lot more than 12, you know, it's like all over the place. It's apostle, apostle, wow, that's great. Man, the church should be banging. Um, so all these apostles... But, but the next thing it said after apostle was assistant pastor. I'm like, dang, if an apostle is the assistant pastor, who in the world is the lead pastor? It just has to be Jesus in the flesh. I mean, like, if an apostle is the assistant pastor, come on, man. I'm like blown away by it. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but the reality we see in the New Testament is, is the first apostles, they were those who were eyewitnesses of Christ and who were used foundationally to build the church. They had the office of apostle. Today, it's not, it's not illegitimate to talk of apostles, although I often think it's illegitimate when people talk of themselves as apostles. That, that can be a problem at times. Maybe not always. But, but to be an apostle, the word means sent one. So apostles are those who are sent to establish the church. I am not an apostle. I'm not an apostle. Someone could say that Pastor Mason or Pastor Tommy or Pastor Doug, those who are going out to plant churches may have apostolic ministry. If someone said that, I wouldn't be mad at them, right? 
but it, it's not that I'm a, a big shot that I can hold it over everyone. It's that I'm a sent one to establish God's church somewhere. That's what apostle is about. And then prophets are those who, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3, are there to encourage and build up the church in a particular gifting, in a particular way. We're not, I'm not going to go deeply into that. But again, a, a, a prophet is not one who, according to the scripture, operates outside of the community of the local church. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, a prophet is one who operates under the authority of pastors and elders in the church. So a prophet can't come in here and start telling you what thus saith the Lord. If he does, we're going to say as elders in the church what thus saith the Lord, and that would be shutteth thee upeth and sitteth thee downeth. If he's not in the word, right? A, a, a prophet is subject to the, the, the ministry of the local church through elders and pastors. But God gives these gifted ones to the church in order uh, to, to build up the saints. Now, look what he says. What does he give them for? Verse 12, to equip the saints. To equip the saints. Uh, matter of fact, let me just go back for one second. Uh, in this uh, in the verse 11, when he says he gave, there's actually an emphatic uh, construction in the Greek, which would, we could translate like this, he himself gave. Speaking of Christ, he himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the, past, the shepherds and teachers. Christ himself gave these gifts to the church. Now he's going to say for what in verse 12? To equip the saints, to equip. That mean, the word means to perfect something, to make something adequate, to cause it to be fully qualified. The word was used secularly in Greek to speak of, uh, in medicine, uh, taking a broken bone and setting it in place so that it would heal properly. It was also used in secular Greek to talk about mending the nets of those who were fishing. And so it's putting things back into their proper order in order that they can accomplish the purpose that they were designed for in the first place. God gave leadership in the church not so that leaders would say, look at me, I'm leading the church, but so that they would equip you. They would equip every member of the church, we'll get into that in a second, in order for them to fulfill the ministry that God has given each one. Not to be Mr. Ministry Guy, Superman, right? I mean, no one has all the gifts. The church has all the gifts. Because God has given it the gifts through the people uh, and sovereignly distributed them in Christ. So the, the, that leadership that fivefold or fourfold, however you want to look at it, that leadership comes in order to equip every saint for ministry. You'll grow as you submit to God-ordained leadership. Listen, every one of us, every single person, and every single living thing will only grow if it, if it has something or someone from the outside to pour into it. No living thing grows in its self-contained world with no help from the outside. Neither will you. I dare you to take a plant and, and, and allow that plant to have no water. for a long, Now, a cactus can make it for a while, right? But even a cactus over, over millennia would not do so well, right? But you take away water, you take away nutrients from the soil, you take away air, the right temperature 
plant your rose in frozen ground and give it no water and see how long it lives, right? It won't live. It needs things from the outside, and so do you, and so do you, and so do I in order to go, grow in Christ. And one of those things we need from the outside is the giftings of the body of Christ. So when we cut ourselves off from a proper relationship with God, ordained leadership, we inevitably run towards rampant immaturity. When we say, you know what? I, no one can lead me. You are going into rampant immaturity and a total lack of self-awareness. So you don't know what's going on in your own life anymore. That leads to arrogant and narcissistic self-understanding that destroys the unity of the church. God called us to unity. and that one, of the, one of the things that enables that to happen is submitting to God-ordained leadership. Look at verse 12 again. To equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. He says, so my, my third point is this, um, is if you are, 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 are going to be matured in Christ in the local church, it will be because you're serving in ministry. You're serving in ministry. He says the, these particular gifts of these leaders are given to equip the saints. Which saints? Which saints? Every saint. And who is a saint according to the scripture? Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus Christ and is a, is a true believer in Christ. If you are that, the Bible says you are a saint. And so he says, he gives these gifted ones, this leadership, to equip the saints. Every single saint is equipped to do some ministry. Some are visible, some you may never see. Some you hear about, some you may never hear about. But every saint is equipped for some type of ministry and needs to be involved in the ministry. Um, where, where he says they are equipped, that word can also, that, that means to perfect something. Um, he uses the term here, uh, equipped for the work of ministry. The word ministry there is uh, diakonoia. We get deacon from that word, right? A deacon. What is a deacon? It's someone who works in the church. But he says you're equipped for the work of ministry. So it is not just deacons who should be working in the ministry. It's not just pastors or elders or ministry heads. Who is it? He said all the saints are equipped for the work of service. Everyone. And that, that word uh, literally means to wait on tables. It means to wait on tables. For, for Greeks, to serve meant you were less than. For Greeks... In the first century, when Paul is writing this, servants were considered uh, as second-class citizens at best. So to be a servant, no, nah, I don't want to be a servant. I want to be, be the big cheese. I want to be the leader. I want to be the man or the woman. I want to be the one. No, but, but Jesus sets this whole way of thinking on its head. In Matthew 20, 28, he says, The Son of Man did not come to serve but to be, did not come to be served, but to serve. Thank you, Holy Ghost, for not messing that up. Did not come to be served, but to serve 
and to give his life as a ransom for money for many. Jesus came as a servant. He lived that out perfectly through his lifetime. And so he calls each and every one who calls on his name as Savior. He says, you need to take on that same title. How are you serving? How are you serving? If you are going to grow in Christ, you you need to serve in ministry. And at times it needs to be sacrificial service. I'll tell you the truth with this with this funeral uh, last uh, on, on Saturday, yesterday, um, I was thinking about it the morning of it, and I said, "Oh no, I never talked to anyone about making sure we had security or making sure that we had hospitality. I never talked to anyone about anything." And so I'm driving on my way, saying, "Jesus, please, please, please." And I came in. The first thing I saw was people serving selflessly i know that no one who was serving on saturday had that on their schedule on wednesday no one did they they didn't have time they made time to serve god they served god sacrificially and i thank the lord for that see here's the thing for us if we're going to grow in christ we must serve sacrificially consumers ask this question what do i get from it Disciples ask a different question, how can I serve? Consumers look to find advantage for themselves. Disciples look to advantage others. In this world, wealth is measured by your capacity to consume. In the kingdom of God, wealth is measured by your capacity to serve. So brothers and sisters, God is calling you to service in his church. If you're a believer, he's calling you to serve. It looks different for different people. I'm not saying what that will be exactly, but you need to serve. You don't grow in in, in anything. You don't grow a business. You don't grow a church by simply having a great business plan or a great Perspectives. I mean, I know Pastor Nyron would tell you, before you start a business, you better get a good business plan together. And I'm not trying to get your services out there, but he's good at that kind of thing. But he doesn't have time for it. He doesn't have, he's busy. But, but you need to have a good business plan. We, we're, we're sending out church planters. And, and even, you know, talking with Pastor Mason, when you look at their prospectus for their church plan. They generally, like, don't ask them about that unless you have three hours with nothing else to do. Because they're going to love to talk about their target area and their strategies and, and their leadership and their core values. And they'll go through that with 70, 80, 100 page uh, uh, um, PowerPoints and they'll just get all into it and they love it. And so we really have helped guys, Pastor Mason particularly, to really put together a comprehensive plan in order to plant a church. That's a great thing. But listen, you can have a 10,000-page PowerPoint. You can have everything just right, and scriptures for every, not just every sentence, but for every, uh, 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 every letter on your page. i got a scripture for everything, right, in Hebrew. I mean, it's, it's just amazing what I have here. Um, but you can have the greatest perspectives and the greatest plan if when you get on the ground, you don't tell somebody about Jesus, you're not going to have a church. If you don't begin to do the things that are in that plan, you won't have the church. Brothers and sisters, we need to get to work. 
the, the reality is that if you're in the church, aside from having some extraordinary circumstances, if you aren't serving, most likely you're sinning. If you're not serving, again, everybody's service doesn't look the same, but no one was called to sit and soak in seats forever. You may do that for a little while. I'll I'll just mention this briefly. I remember when my wife and I first came to Epiphany and we came out of a difficult situation and I remember my wife saying, basically, I'll come. I just want to (laughs) sit. I just want to hear the word of God. I'll go home afterwards. I'll eat some chicken. I hope that you barbecued the chicken because I don't even feel like cooking it. But I... We've been doing ministry for a long time. It's been hard. We just went through a very difficult season. I just want to sit. And she did for about three minutes and 42 seconds. (laughs) And then God said, okay, there's people here, and you're here. Get to work. Ministry's not about, and, and most of that work is never seen by anyone. Most of ministry is never on a website but it happens in quiet places. Some people are praying for this church in a way that not even the elders know about, but have a ministry of intercessory prayer. Thank you if that's you. But if you're not serving in some way, most likely you're sinning. Look look at verse 15. Let's skip down to verse 15. Verse 15 says, well, you know what? Let me go back up to verse 14. So it says, so that... We may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. It says if you're not at work in ministry, then you're probably going to be like a little child. Um, The word there for children is infant. Literally, it means someone who cannot speak. So say, if you're not involved in ministry and growing in Christ, you're like a little kid that can't even talk yet, tossed to and fro by waves. And then it says, every wind of doctrine, human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Verse 15, it says, rather, in other words, again, contrastive, rather than that way of speaking, Rather than cunning, rather than deceitful schemes, rather than craftiness, it says, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Rather speaking the truth in love. That little phrase there, speaking the truth in love. I hope that this phrase gets into your mind and into your soul. This is a critical phrase to understand as a believer and your connection to the local church. Because this is my fourth point, is that if you're going to mature in Christ through the local church, it will be by committing to a truth and love community. By committing to a truth and love community. He says, rather than being like those who devise schemes and figure out things and do things in an underhanded way, we are committing ourselves to become a community of people who speak the truth in love to one another. That, that, that seems like a very basic thing, but in reality, that's a very rare thing in this world. It's, it can actually be a very rare thing even in the church. I mean, I, I can recall 
being in places where everyone put on the right clothes on Sunday. They said the right words. How you doing, brother? I'm blessed and highly favored. We had the Christian language down pat, uh, and, and we could even do fellowship, which meant eating uh, various foodstuffs, and, and we could get it in and talk on a deep level, but it never got down to the core issues of life. No one ever challenged anyone else on their sin, on their issues, on their struggles. I thank God that I'm in a community not only where I'm able to, to, to push others on issues that may be sinful, but where others do that to me as well. I thank God for that. That is a safe place to be. It's a, it's a critical place to be. We need to commit ourselves to a community where we speak the truth. The, the word there for speaking truth, aletheia, is the Greek word for truth, but it's a participle. So it, it, we could really say truthing. We're truthing. We're a community that's always truthing. In other words, we're not a community that's just dapping one another. Praise God, how's it going? I'm good. We're not just talking about sports or weather or politics or stuff in life, but we're getting down into the deep crevices of one another's souls and speaking the truth in love. God calls us, listen, you can be committed to the church, you can be coming every Sunday, you can be in a life group, you can be in what we call a, a DNA community, disciple, nurture, and accountability that is supposed to go there, but you can do all of those things and still have everyone at arm's length. I will not be known on that level. No, I won't. And you don't let anyone in. And neither do you go in with anyone else who desperately needs your help. Yes. Pastors can't do all that. We're not everywhere, right? It's the whole body of Christ ministering to one another in such a way that we're involved in one another's lives. We need that desperately. So you commit yourself to being in a truth love community. And lastly, uh, verse 16 Verse 16 says, From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. All of the things that we've talked about. Receiving grace gifts. Submitting to God-ordained leadership. Serving in ministry. Connecting to a truth-love community. Mean Little or nothing if it's not grounded in the love of God. It must be grounded in the love of God. Why am I doing what I'm doing? I'm doing it because I love God deeply. I'm doing it because if I love God, that means I also love my neighbor. It's, it's not this super spiritual love of God that I just love God. I just hate people. I just can't stand them. No, if you love God, you will love those around you, even when it's hard. That's when you find out if you really love. If someone's just doing good to you all the time, you don't know if you love them or not. When they do you wrong, when they mess you up, when they get on your last nerve, that's when you find out if you actually love them. What does love look like? Love is patient and love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, 
hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 8. That's what love looks like. And so at the very beginning of this passage in verse 2, we're not going to look at it right now, and at the end of this passage in verse 16, there's a, everything in between is sandwiched with the love of God. So all that we do to grow and mature is based on the love of God rooted and grounded in His love for us and for others. And so the end result is this. Look for just a moment at verse 13. This is the goal. Brothers and sisters, if this is not the goal of your life, then you have the wrong goal. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature, to mature manhood or womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God is calling you to maturity, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. If that's not the center, if that's not the bullseye for your life, you've got the wrong bullseye. It, see, it can't be financial success, material wealth. It can't even be just how perfect and happy my family is. Your family ain't perfect, by the way. And I know that because you're in it. Amen? So... <laughs> So the, the reality is, the reality is whatever goals that we have, it's good to have goals in business, in education. It's good to have goals financially and otherwise. Good to have goals for your family. But your primary goal, the only one you're allowed to have if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, is that I will attain the maturity in Christ where my life is, is placed in such a way that it shows off the wonder of my God. Anything less than that is the wrong goal for your life. So where are you at in your growth? Some people have very little commitment to the church. Some people have consumer commitments to the church. I come, I enjoy it, but... When it's not comfortable, I'll find another church. We're consumers. Some people are very committed. But I would say even to those of you who are very committed, look at these five points. And ask this question, where is God calling me to a greater level of commitment to his church in order that I might grow to be more like Christ? Where is God pointing you to through these words? I wonder if there are some here who may be sputtering, you just pulled away from the curb, and your, your, your life is sputtering and the dashboard is lighting up. It's a mess. God is calling you to come to Him and to grow by coming deeper into His church. You won't gain maturity apart from that. There may be some here as well that don't know Christ at all. I'm not going to do an altar call right now. But I pray that you don't leave this place not knowing Jesus Christ. Talk to one of the men who will be up here for communion. Talk to someone you came with. Talk to one of our deacons or deaconess, one of our male or female ministry leaders. Don't leave here without knowing about this Jesus that we're talking about. But I pray for each one. Hear God's word. Grow in the body of Christ. 
Where do you need to commit yourself more to grow in Him? Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful and grateful again for Your Word. We ask, O oh God, that You will strengthen each and every one of Your children. Male, female, young, old, whatever race, whatever economic status, Lord, you gift your people to glorify your name in the community of the saints. So Lord, call each of us to a greater place of service, of commitment to one another, submitting to your leaders, receiving and understanding and developing our gifts, and most of all, O oh God, to love with a ferocious love that comes from you. Lord, we thank you for this and ask that you build up your body. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our men can come forward as we...